It begins by telling us about a contention that arose among the 12 apostles. And as we study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that this wasn't really all that unusual. When did this happen? Well, it happened the night of the Passover supper, the last supper together before the Lord's crucifixion. We wonder if this uh, contention, which they had from time to time, may have been prompted by their thoughts of a political kingdom that they thought the Lord was going to establish. But there were other times when they showed their human nature. They were proud. They were jealous. They were envious. While Jesus was training them to be his apostles, his ambassadors, his representatives when he goes back to heaven. Let me give you a couple examples. In Matthew 18, and this is also in Mark 9, same thing, they were coming toward Capernaum. And when they got to the house, and we're not told whose house it was, but uh, I like to maybe think that it could have been his mother's house because when Jesus began his public ministry, he moved, or they moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Of course, Jesus didn't have any permanent place, but when he came that way, uh, Capernaum sort of was his, um, what's the expression? Um, uh, he touched base there and then he went on. And so when he came into the house, he said, what, uh, what were you talking about? Well, he knew. But he let them explain that they were, well, no, they didn't want to say. <laughs> they didn't want to say because they'd been talking about who was the greatest. And so Jesus takes a child, a little boy, because it's a he. And we wonder, maybe this is one of his uh, nephews. If it's a house that uh, his mother and family were living in. He did have two sisters, four brothers. And uh, he took a boy while he was in the house. Maybe, maybe not. But anyway, he said to them that uh, except you turn and become as a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, except ye are as humble as this little child is, or no, that if you are as humble as this little child is, then you shall be the greatest in the kingdom. So he talked about not being proud, divisive, but about being humble. And in our text today, we read about a time when he says that they ought to be humble and they ought to be servants. But let me mention another time. In Matthew 20, Mrs. Zebedee, her name may have been Salome, but we're not positive, the, the mother of James and John, the three of them came to Jesus. She wanted to ask him something. He said, what wouldst thou... And she said, uh, Command that my son shall sit on the right hand and on thy left hand when thou comest in thy kingdom. And he said, Well, that's not really my place to give that. He said, Are you able to drink the cup that I shall drink? And he said, We are. He says, Well, you surely will drink it. But then he makes a statement. Let me read from 27 and 28. <clears throat> I can find it. Um, and whosoever would be first among you shall be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So there were times when they 
were not really together, but they wanted to be the greatest. We notice also the reaction of the other ten. Now, they were indignant. That's what the Bible said. They were moved with indignation. In fact, they were furious. It wasn't righteous indignation because they wouldn't stand for such pride. It was because James and John went in front of them to try to get a place of honor ahead of them. So the apostles' uh, indignation wasn't righteous, it was selfish. In this passage, let me read verses 27 and 28. And I've got to go back to Matthew 20 again. Okay, verses uh, 27 and 28. And whosoever would be first among you shall be your servant. Even, well, I just read that, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we turn back to Luke 22 again. Verses 25 and 26. The Lord is comparing or should say contrasting between the kingdom in darkness the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God and he tells them like the kings of the Gentiles they wanted to be called benefactors he says it's not going to be that way among you in the kingdom of God verses 25 and 26 and he said unto them this the kings of the Gentiles have lordship over them, and they that have authority over them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is the greater among you, let him become as the younger, that is, take the lowest place. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. And so the Lord is turning everything around. Benefactors. Well, a benefactor was one who gave benefits, and the ones who received the benefits were beneficiaries. But they were called benefactors because they wanted the credit. They wanted to be known as the one who were benefiting other people. Jesus is saying, or maybe I should ask this question, is Jesus saying it is wrong to want to receive credit? Well, let me give you some illustrations. One is when we turn back to Matthew 6. And he says, when you give alms, don't be like the hypocrites. Because they like to stand in the streets and in the synagogues and blow their trumpets so everybody will notice them. And they will receive the glory that is of men. He says, now that's what their reward's going to be. And that's all it's going to be. They're going to be paid in full. They're going to receive that which they want. That's the glory of men. He says, don't be like that. So he's condemning the motive. The motive of the giving then, being a benefactor, was to be recognized as somebody great, generous. When we turn to Acts 11, another example, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Now, we've already been told about Joseph, Barnabas, who had property, sold the property, gave it to the apostles, and they shared it with the people who were in need in Jerusalem. Well, these folks, this couple, they had property, and they sold it. 
And they gave uh, some of the money, we're not told how much, to the apostles to use in the same way. They wanted credit. But they wanted more credit than they were willing to, uh, to seek. They wanted to keep some of it back and let the people think they'd given more and so they wanted credit in that way. Well, I think the Lord condemns that kind of credit because they lost their lives. Let me give you some other illustrations. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, Paul said, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. But if nobody sees it, nobody says anything about it, it looks like it's in vain. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how when we've done all that we can do, being steadfast and abounding in the work, the Lord will reward us. He won't forget it. Hebrews 6 and 10 says that God is not unrighteous to forget your ministry. He'll remember it. And from him you'll receive credit. Let me give you one other example. This is in Ephesians 6 and verse 8. <clears throat> and he's talking here both to those who were slaves and those who were owners, the masters. And in the work that they did as Christians, the Lord would reward, reward them. Knowing that whatsoever good thing each one doeth, the same shall he receive again from the Lord whether he be bond or free. Going to receive it from whom? From the Lord. So, I think the Lord does teach us that he's going to uh, reward us, but we don't want to seek credit from other folks. Father, where shall I work today? My love flowed warm and free. Then he pointed me out a tiny spot and said, that for me I answered quickly oh no not that why no one would ever see no matter how well my work was done not that little place for me and the word he spoke it was not stern he answered me tenderly ah little one search that heart of thine art thou working for them or me Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. The benefactors, they were the ones, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus says now, as kingdom of God's citizens, you'd approach life in a different way. How did the Lord handle this lack of humility among his disciples? What did he do? Well, it reminds me of the man that was awarded a lapel pin for his humility. And the first day that he wore it, they took it away from him. How did Jesus deal with their lack of humility? Well, he gave them a demonstration of his own humility. Verses 26 and 27, which has already been read. But ye shall not be so, that is like the Gentiles, but he that is greater among you 
Let him become as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Now, for which is greater, he that sitteth at meat and is served, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat that is according to the worldview? But I am in the midst of you as he that serveth. He says you need to look at a different example than we find in the world. He didn't just liken himself to a servant. He was a servant. It wasn't too many Wednesday nights ago that we were studying in John 13. The lesson about how the Lord washed their feet of the disciples. The Lord washed their feet. Peter objected. He didn't quite understand until the Lord explained a little bit more to him what he was doing. And he said, now I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The Lord washing his servants' feet. That is an example of humility. Jesus is working on our pride. He said, I am in the midst of you as he that serveth. And he proved to be the greatest because he was the greatest servant. Well, I think we could say that of these apostles like Paul and Peter. James and Jude, I'll give these examples. They spoke of themselves as, in my version, a servant, or a bondservant, or a slave. We think of them as slaves. But think about James and Jude, and we think that he was talking about his half, that they were the half-brothers of the Lord. How they introduced themselves. And I'll start with James here. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James could have said, now, he's my half-brother. I'm related to the Lord, you know. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm a servant, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the Lord had brothers named James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, Matthew 13, 55. We think also that Jude, the book just before the book of Revelation, was another brother. Because he identifies himself as a brother of James. Jude, a, an, again he says servant or a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And again, he didn't do like James didn't do and say, well, I'm a half-brother of the Lord. He referred to himself as a slave of the Lord. Servant spirit is what we want. Here's some one-liners. Few of us get dizzy from doing good deeds. You know, if you turn around a lot, turns. No, I said it wrong. Few of us get dizzy from doing good turns. <laughs> That's the point. The idea some seem to have of service is serve us. You have to see that maybe to catch it written out. It is a pleasant thought that when you help a fellow wayfarer up a mountainside, you get near to the top yourself. That's a good thought. Sitting by the fire, an old man sat by the open fire and dreamed the years away. While outside in the battle of life, many perished 
in the toils of day. He never did any good, nor did he ever do any wrong. He just sat by the open fire and dreamed the whole day long. Now he's left the vacant chair, and they say he's gone up higher. But if he still does what he used to do, he's still sitting by the fire. We notice that after the Lord's rebuke for their contentions among themselves, for their pride, and then after his lesson on service, he has a word of encouragement for these twelve apostles. Because they had stood faithfully or would stand faithfully, they had during his public ministry, throughout his trials, his temptations, his hardships, which his ministry necessarily involved. Their, pro their promised places of honor in the kingdom. He's trying to lift them up, encourage them. And I do not think he's speaking about an earthly millennium reign here because he began reigning when he went back to heaven on the day of Pentecost when he sat down at the right hand of God. But when we turn over to Matthew 19 and 28, <clears throat> He talks about the regeneration. And that word is found only two times in the New Testament. This is one of the times, the other time found in Titus 3 and 5. Verse 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, a part of that's exactly the same wording that we had in Luke 22. Sitting upon twelve thrones of Israel, judging Israel. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, even as my Father appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and ye shall sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. <clears throat> Well, I mentioned that the word regeneration is used only twice in the New Testament. Titus 3 and 5, Paul said, Not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration is baptism. That's when they were regenerated. That began in... Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. That was during the time of, the beginning of, the period when men would be regenerated. So he's talking about now. During the church age, the, the messianic age, that's the regeneration. One becomes a new creature. He's baptized into Christ, Galatians. I mean, Second Corinthians 5 and 17, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, they've become new. New creature, new creation. That begins at baptism. That's when the regeneration takes place. Now, we talked about his trying to encourage them because they had endured the suffering, the temptations and trials that Jesus had and would continue as Jesus went back to heaven and they began preaching on their own. When we turn to Matthew 5, 10, 11, and 12, 
Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they who have been... Blessed are ye when ye have... Well, let me start it over. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Jesus is preparing them for the persecution that's going to come. In Acts 14 and verse 22, Paul, Barnabas, they've been preaching. He'd been left for killed, uh, for dead in Lystra, gone on to Derby. Now they're going back over the old places they've been. When they come to Antioch, Pisidia, we read that they were encouraging these brethren and telling them that they were going to have to suffer. That suffering was a part of preparing for the kingdom of God. And that takes place in this life and will provide a place in heaven. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, now notice, and that through many tribulations we must suffer or enter into the kingdom of God. Now they were already in the kingdom of God, but he's talking about the eternal phase of that kingdom. We are going to have to suffer in the kingdom here so we can enter into the kingdom there. And so these folks, his disciples, were being prepared for that suffering that was going to come. He says that you'll be judges over the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, he's talking about the remnant of grace. Paul speaks about in Romans 11 and 5. He's talking about the church. The Old Testament prophets had spoken about a remnant. Uh, and that's what the church is. Gentiles and Jews. Galatians 6. 16 speaks about the Israel, not the fleshly Israel, but the spiritual Israel. And then in verse 30, he said, I've appointed a place for in my Father's kingdom to eat and drink. I understand this to be a metaphor. And it refers to the ancient custom of bestowing honor and distinction. I'll give you two examples from the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 9, Kish, Saul's father, had lost some ass. And so he sent Saul, his son, and a servant out to find him. They looked and they looked and they never could find him. And so they came near where the prophet Samuel was and said, they said, well, let's go and ask him. So they went in. Now, God had appeared to Samuel the night before. He says, I'm going to introduce you to the next king. People wanted a new king. They wanted a king to replace God. And so when they met, Samuel knew who they were. He says, we're waiting for you. We have several guests, and you're to be the guest of honor. So he took them up, placed them at the place of, uh, of honor. He sent a message into the, to the cook. He said, bring that special food that we had set aside for our honor. Bring it and set it before Saul. He was being uh, given special treatment. 
because God had selected him to be the first earthly king. Another time, this is also in Kings, but Second Kings, and both of them are in chapters 9. This is in verse 7. King David wanted to know what he could do if there was anyone left from uh, Jonathan, his beloved friend who was dead, who died in the battle with the Philistines. Someone said, well, there's Mephibosheth, his son. The nurse was running away, and she dropped him and injured him. Back his handicap for the rest of his life. And they told David, well, now you can uh, look after him. So David invited Mephibosheth to come over, and he said, I want you to sit at my table the rest of your life. You're going to be my special guest because of the love that your father and I shared one another. So to eat and drink at a table is used as a metaphor, and I think that's what it's used here as. Not referring to the Lord's Supper in the church and in the kingdom. Now certainly we have the Lord's Supper in the kingdom here. In Matthew 26 and 29, Jesus said, I shall not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Every week, every first day, which comes down every week, we remember the Lord. He wants us to do this in memory of him. And so we have the Lord's Supper. It's in the kingdom. But I have a question here that it's in the metaphor referring to a place of honor that he's giving to his disciples. The apostles were about to share in the Lord's condemnation and in his suffering. And eventually, Jesus is reminding them, if faithful, they would share in his exaltation and glory. Not only the apostles, but you and I. Disciples living on this side of the first century. Let me read a couple of passages. Second Thessalonians 2.14 Whereunto he called you through our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is addressed to Christians. Colossians 3.4 When Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, and talking about in the resurrection, then shall ye also with him be manifested in glory. We're going to share the glory that the Lord has prepared for us. Colossians 1.27 tells us that Christ in you is the hope of glory. I have the hope. You have the hope. Every Christian has this hope of sharing in his glory. Let me close with one passage that you're all familiar with. Philippians 2. We'll start at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. In Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being made in fashion as a man, or being found in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion of men, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death. We've been talking about humility. Even the death of the cross. Now, wherefore also God highly exalted him and gave unto him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to confess. Now, it's going to be sad for a lot of people. They're going to wait too long to make that confession. If Jesus were to come tonight, all of us would confess that he is the Lord. But everybody who's not here is going to confess that he's the Lord. But we want to be on his right side when we make that confession. We don't want to be on the left side. Because when he gathers us from the graves and changes us, if we're still alive, he's going to gather those who have done his will on his right. They're going to confess Jesus as the Lord. And those on his left, the rest of mankind, are going to confess him as Lord. But they're also going to be told to depart from me, ye cursed, to the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know the story. We want to sing a song of invitation. If you're not those with the promise and the hope of being on the right side, won't you come tonight and make things right? Obey the gospel as we stand and sing. <laughs>